brought your copy of God's Word, please turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to look at Psalm 32 in just a few minutes. Psalm 32, and then we'll flip over to uh, Romans chapter 4 toward the end. And I want to just share with you this morning about God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness. On February the 22nd, 2015, I'm going to be teaching a winter Bible study for Southside Baptist Church in Russellville. It's where Brother Daniel Wilburn is pastor. And instead of teaching the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in which Lifeway suggests as the winter Bible study, I'm going to be teaching on forgiveness. And I'm going to be supplementing that study with a study by Dr. James MacDonald entitled, I Choose to Forgive. And as I have been thinking and praying in regards to that study about us forgiving other people, I believe that one problem that hinders our work for God as His people And also that hinders our forgiveness of other people is that we really don't understand about forgiveness. I believe that one thing that hinders us in forgiving other people is that there's some sins or a sin that that we're still dealing with and we've never addressed that sin or those sins and confession and repentance. It's hard for us to forgive someone else when we haven't experienced forgiveness ourselves from God. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? Well, you'll notice in Psalm 32, verse 1, David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So David uses three words there referring to the benefits of forgiveness from God. He uses the word transgressions. Our transgressions are forgiven. Our sin is covered. Then in verse 2 he says that God does not impute that sin to our account. Is there something in your life that you really just can't get beyond because of a particular sin or sins and you feel within your own heart that you have not personally been forgiven? You see, one reason I really believe that we find it difficult to forgive others is we really don't know what forgiveness is. How would you define forgiveness? You ask someone, well, have you been forgiven? Yes. Has God forgiven you of your sins? Yes, He has. Well, what do you mean by that? And you'll hear words like, I've been freed. I've been cleansed. I've been been delivered. I've been healed. I've been changed. 
You know, some of you have been changed. If you've ever trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you've been changed. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A Christian has been changed. You may have been changed, but you may have something in your life that you have kind of just learned to live with. Others are unaware of it, perhaps. But the one that it really matters knows all about it. So today, really, as we think about God's forgiveness, this could be a worship service in which you're freed, cleansed, changed, delivered, healed from whatever sin or sins that you have tucked away that keeps you buried down. You see, sin binds us. We just sang a few minutes ago, my chains are gone, I've been set free. Sin binds us. It's like having chains. We don't visibly see any chains, but we're bound. And to be quite honest, we really can't sing my chains are gone honestly because we're bound perhaps by some sin or some sins that God has not forgiven us. Sin binds us. Not only does it bind us, it causes us to fear. Sin will cause you to fear. What if others find out about what I have in my life? What if, uh, what if others find out? What if my spouse finds out? My children find out? What if uh, my boss finds out about this? What if the community finds about Brother Sam and my church family? And it brings about fear. And then also it brings about chastisement. Fear of chastisement. What if God chastises me because I have this in my life and I've never dealt with it. The question is, if, if God choose, if He chastens those He loves and every son that He receives, why am I not being chastised? Is His love not set on me? Is his, am, am I a part of the family of God? Because, you know, the point being, um, Hebrews chapter 12, God's going to discipline His children. I heard Johnny Hunt say one time, I don't discipline your children. I'd like to sometime, but I don't. But I discipline my own, quote, unquote. I always heard you didn't get in trouble if you quoted someone else. But that's what he said. But God corrects His children. But just think today, what, what if this is the day? What if this is the day? What if this is the defining moment? What if this is the eternal moment? What if this is just the red-letter day? You got up and you came to church this morning to worship, and this is just the red-letter day that your sin will be a thing of the past and no longer the present or no longer the future. 
So look at Psalm 32, and you'll see David dealing with a sin that really has him burdened down. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word blessed means happy and joyful. And he's happy now. He's joyful. He's blessed. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and whose spirit there is no guile. That's important. But he uses those three words. His transgressions are forgiven. His sin covered and imputeth. His sin is not charged against him. But he uses something else there in verse 2. He says, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Your translation may have deceit. That's important. In whose spirit, in whose person, in whose spirit there is no deceit. So a person really cannot experience the three realities of verse 1 and 2 if he's deceiving himself and pretending that everything is all right in his life when he knows there is at least one or more sins he's never dealt with. Blessed is the man in whose there's, there's no deceit in his spirit. So today... God is really calling all of us to just kindly to have an honest confession and to examine our lives. In verse 4, For day and night, he said, Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. You remember when the song went off just then, you had that desert land? That describes a lot of lives. God's constantly reminding him day and night and there's no vitality in his life and and his whole life is just parched and dry without any meaning whatsoever. That's the way he felt with the sin in his life. He says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer, drought of summer. And then he uses the word selah. And the word selah... Some, uh, that, that just means to pause. John Phillips in his commentary says it, it means to... Now what do you think about that? Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquities of my sin. For this shall everyone that is godly, notice that, underline that word godly. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto thee. So he contextualizes there in verse 6, and he's saying that godly people sometime make ungodly choices. But they're still godly people. David made an ungodly choice, but he's referred to by God as a man after God's own heart. He was a godly person, but he made some poor choices. Just because we make poor choices doesn't mean we cease being godly or God's people. I'm godly this morning because... God's grace made me godly. 
We just sang about that a few minutes ago. I may have made some bad choices as a parent. That doesn't, I don't cease in becoming a parent or being a parent just because I made some bad choices. I may make some bad choices. Hate to go here, but as a spouse. That doesn't mean I cease becoming a spouse. I may make some bad choices as a Christian, but thanks to the grace of Jesus Christ, He saved me and He forgave me and He made me godly. Now, He's, he's dealing also in verse 6 with, a, with the context of presumption. He's presuming. Look what He said. He said, Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto Him. He's... he's uh, you know, don't, don't presume that everything's okay. Everything's all right in your life. Verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. He's speaking, David's speaking. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Pause. Then God speaks in verse 8. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, and I'll guide thee with mine eye. God says, I will guide thee with mine eye. God says, I'm going to guide you with my eye. If that happens, then I have to keep my eye on him. He's guiding me with his eye. Verse 9, he says, Be ye not as the horse, don't run off, or as the mule. I mean, don't be stubborn and just stand there. And he clarifies that, having no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a, with a bit. A bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be in the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. This morning, what is it that you would just like to leave behind? Not to have to think about it anymore. Not to have to face it tomorrow or the next day or the next day or the next day. What is it that you would just like to have forgiveness to be cleared of, to be forgiven by God? Perhaps a lack of love? Perhaps unforgiveness? I just jotted a few down. Perhaps a critical spirit? Perhaps an addiction of some sort? I was reading yesterday, late yesterday, last night, a Mission Magazine, own Mission Magazine, and I found an article in there that stated that two-thirds or 64% of all males in the United States view pornography once a month. 64%. Christian men, this is what's frightening, Christian men have the same percentage. Christian men, 64% view pornography once a month. Young men, listen to this, 18 to 30, 
8 out of 10, 79%. 8 out of 10. Epidemic, the author said. 30% of women view pornography once a month. So what is it? What is it that, that you would just like to leave behind? An addiction, alcohol, disobedience to God, guilt, anxiety. David experienced anxiety. David shares how when one is not forgiven by God, that unforgiveness will lead to mental and physical and emotional harm. Look at verse uh, th- uh, verse. Uh, two. He says, "When I kept si-, verse three, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long." David really wasn't needing a psychologist or a psychiatrist to get things worked out in his life. He was needing a theologist. Someone that knew theology. Someone that could tell him about God's forgiveness. Our daughter has a degree in psychology and a master's in psychology and was a therapist. Our daughter-in-law, Katie, has a degree in psychology. But a number of our problems, not all of them, but a lot of our mental and emotional and baggage that we have could be really addressed and dealt with with just a good old experience of God's forgiveness in our lives. Where we could leave some of that junk to God. And with God. Now remember, your sin hinders those blessings in verse 1, 2, and 3 that Psalm 32 describes. And David, he's wanting us to experience forgiveness. Now, let me remind you that that this passage is so powerful that the Apostle Paul chose to quote Psalm 32, when he wanted to write on the doctrine of justification. In other words, justification, what it takes for God to take a sinner and make a sinner just through the cross. He's justified. I like Johnny Hahn in his commentary notes on this. He said, justified, just as I have never sinned like that. He said, I... I owed a debt I could not pay. Christ paid a debt he did not owe. As a result, it's just as though I never owed the debt. Now, the, the word debt there in the Greek is telesti. In the English, it's canceled. The debt's been canceled. So Paul, by the Holy Spirit, in writing on justification, in Romans, quote Psalm 32. Look at Romans 4, verse 7 and 8. I believe Ty has that on the screen. Romans 4, verse 7, saying, Blessed are those whose, uh, whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Sound familiar? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Verse 7 is, is David used a personal pronoun. Blessed is he. Paul extends it to a plural pronoun. And he says, blessed are they. 
In other words, God will do the same thing for us as He did for David in regards to forgiveness of sin. So David and Paul both invites us to experience what they experienced in regards to forgiveness. I went to the doctor the other day and he said I was going to have to have surgery on a foot. And he began, he said, hey, don't worry about that. I'm thinking, my foot. Easy, I'm thinking, I'm not talking, I'm thinking. And he said, well, I had the same thing. And just a simple procedure, took 10 minutes, don't have any problem now, took care of that. He wanted me to experience the same thing that he went through because he knew the benefit of it. And this is what David and Paul are saying. You need to experience what we've experienced where you can experience the benefit of God's forgiveness in your life. Look at Romans 4, 8, 4, 7. One more time. Romans 4, verse 7. Saying, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Passage kindly points a, paints a picture of a person who's, who's been an overcomer. Or let me say it this way first. The person first has been overcome by sin and been overpowered by sin. But yet by faith, he's been forgiven of his sins and he's glorifying God in verse 20. In 4 verse 20, notice what he says if you followed along. Romans 4, verse 20. He says, And he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And so he experienced it, and he's giving God the glory. So instead of retribution and punishment for our sins, we find this undeserved favor given to us by God. And so therefore, in Psalm 32, this forgiveness of sin brings healing both in the body and the mind, and deliverance in times of distress, according to David. Here's the point. Instead of sin being imputed, charged against us, righteousness has been imputed and placed on our account, and we experience a new life, we experience new vitality in Jesus Christ. Now here's where the problem comes in, perhaps. Some of you have been born again but you've allowed sin to find a foothold in your heart and in your mind and in your soul, and it's robbing you of the benefits of Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. It's robbing you of the blessings and the benefits of God's forgiveness. Now here's an important truth that Hunt said in his commentary, and I really liked in regards to forgiveness. Those who hope for righteousness given through their works, have misunderstood the law and the work for affecting sin and wrath. Well, what does that mean? Simply saying, some, when you realize that you couldn't save yourself, you turned to Jesus Christ and by faith you trusted Him. That's what we did. I realized I couldn't save myself and I, by faith I turned to Christ and I trusted Jesus Christ. But now, he's saying, that you find yourself in bondage again, and now you're going to try to work to get out of this mess on your own, instead of turning to God for the forgiveness that He can give. 
just going to pull your own self up by the bootstrap. You're just going to try to serve more and do more in your Christian life. And it's all going to be taken care of. But the problem is, it won't be. Those, Paul says, those who hope for righteousness given through their works have misunderstood the law altogether. Romans 3, verse 20. Listen to what God's Word says. Romans 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no man be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The more, the more you try to work and work and serve and pretend that everything is okay and there's no sin in your life and everything is hunky-dory, the more that you serve and do this and do that and try to do this work stuff, the more the law is going to remind you of your sin. So God gives undeserved favor from punishment. He sets us free from so many issues that we have in life. Psalm 32, look at that and I'm about to close. I'm going to mention three things in Psalm 32. First of all, if you'll notice, there is, there is a delight. He mentioned the word, I mentioned the word selah there. He mentions it three times. He uses it in verse 4. He says, For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture's turned into the drought of summer. Selah. When you're reading the Bible, you don't have to say that word. That means to pause and reflect. John Phillips, I mentioned to you, said, you know, uh, it, it, it would really mean, uh, what do you think about that? So let's look at it in that way. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. What do you think about that? See, it's a picture of conviction. Conviction. If you're aware, listen, if you are aware that your life is dried up and there's no vitality in it, and you feel with all your heart that God's hand is upon you. That's conviction. God's letting you know if your life's dried up and there's no vitality, there's a problem. And He does that because He loves us. That's the love of God. And we need to just stop from time to time and thank God for His love and, and thank Him for not leaving us alone in that condition. Thank you for putting your heavy hand upon me and letting me know there's something wrong in my life. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. My iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou hast forgavest the iniquity of my sin. What do you think about that? I like what Hunt said. He said, God's given you the opportunity for you to remove your fig leaves that you think hide your sin. And He will give you a robe of righteousness that will cover your sin and no longer pretense. Remember Adam and Eve? 
They sinned against God and immediately they realized they disobeyed God. And you know what they did? They sewed together an apron of fig leaves and covered themselves. Hid their nakedness. We're no different. <laughs> we put on our leaves and we hide our sin where the spouse won't know and the children won't know and the neighbors won't know and the church won't know and the preacher won't know and whomever won't know. But God sees it. He saw theirs, he's aware of theirs, he's aware of ours. Then Hunt said this, he said, I liked it, if you ever see yourself as God sees you, you'll see that he sees right through your fig leaves. Can't hide it, folks. So here's the invitation. Is there anyone here today that would be honest enough with themselves to acknowledge that you've tried through pretense to hide your sin? You're a godly man. You're a godly woman. But right now, you're just not living a godly way. But today you want to just kindly lay your fig leaves to the side and fess up. And then allow God's robe of righteousness to cover you completely. First of all, first sila, conviction. Second sila, confession. And I'll end with verse 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. What do you think about that? You know, when you're convicted of your sin, uh, God's going to give you confidence in your walk with Him again. When you are convicted of it, when you confess it, then he will give you confidence, as he did David, and as he did Paul, Saul of Tarsus, when he was saved. He gave them confidence to walk with him again. And I really never had thought of it this way. But how, did, how, how open was David with his sin? Let me tell you how open he was. He wrote a psalm, Psalm 32. He wrote a psalm. That's how open he was. You know what a psalm is? Psalm is a song. And so David writes a song about his sin. And he hands it, hands it to Brother Terry, to the director. And the director would go to worship. We're all going to stand together this morning. We're going to sing about David's sin. That's open. you imagine that? They'd sing of David's sin. Got thinking about that. What, what, would, what would be the verses of my psalm? For everybody to stand and sing. <laughs> what would you do if you called out that number? Here's, here's the point. Once your sins are forgiven, once your sins are covered, once your sins are replaced by His righteousness, once you no longer are pretending, then you can just sing it out 
there's no problem. Isn't that neat? Because why? Happy is the man, joyful is the man whose iniquities and sins have been forgiven and have been covered. Today, would you be willing to come out of hiding? Just kind of stop your pretense. I've done that before. I have. Here's the point. If you're pretending to be right and you're not, then you're not walking in forgiveness and you're not living in forgiveness. And there's a caution here for all of us. We need to be cautious in judging other people. Well, that person probably wasn't Christian to start with. Oh, really? Was David? Keep in mind, godly people sin. And we'll leave the other to God. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to just spend some time on godly forgiveness and how and the freedom that we can experience when we confess our sins and turn from our sins and trust you, Lord, to forgive us our sins. I pray for every person here. And I pray, Lord, that we're living in the life of forgiveness. That we have had our transgressions forgiven. We've had our sins covered. Nothing has been imputed to our account. And there is no guile, no deceit in our spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.